And this is the part of service where we get to continue our worship to our Lord through our offerings and tithings. And, you know, the Bible says they're like a cheerful giver. And we've had these camps during the summer. We two, we got two camps down. We got one more to go, the Legacy Camp. But Camp Defined and the Sports Camp was for the younger kids. And through the younger kids, they get blessed. But it, the other blessings that come through there is for our young high schoolers. They get to help and serve. And they become, they learn how to give. They learn how to participate and be part of this um, team of this church. And one of the kids uh, had a story about his mom calling up and asking him, hey, you're part of a football team. You have practice to go to. And you made a commitment to this team. And he told his mom, oh, I'm kind of busy. I'm up, up here doing these things. But you're part of a team. He goes, well, I'm part of a church too. And he made that choice out of his relationship with his God through our church here. And that's kind of like our Father in heaven. We made the choice to come to church, to, to participate in New Hope, and to, and to be in the family of this church. And then he, we get to serve. We get to give our tithes and our offerings. And it's all out of a relationship. And through our tithes and offerings, we, we can reach the public. We can reach our community. We can reach the state. We can reach one relationship at a time. So as we give, just think of these camps where the youth come in and they, through the relationships come to know Christ and many other opportunities that we have. But we love you, Lord. So we're going to uh, pray for the offering now. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity to express our love. I thank you that you get to use each and every one of us to reach our community, one relationship at a time, where we can share the love of Christ um, into the public, outside of the walls of this church, into our community. And Lord, I just ask that you just take these offerings and further the kingdom. In your name we pray, amen. It would be great if we lived in a world without temptation, but the truth is we struggle with temptation every single day. And in this series, Being Shaped by God, that's what we're going to be talking about because God is trying to shape us, and at the same time, so is the enemy, Satan. The devil comes to try to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's trying to shape our life at the same time, and God is trying to shape our life. The good news is that God's shaping is a lot better than the way the devil wants to shape our life. So we're going to take out our notes and follow along. Uh, if you have the app, you can use that too because the notes are in there too. Uh, first of all, thank you for... Uh, Pastor Ben speaking on my behalf last week, so thank you, Pastor Ben. And Heidi and I were gone over the weekend. We were at her family reunion, and it was a great time for us to spend together just to relax a little bit uh, during the summertime. But it's like when I'm gone for one week, like I really miss you guys. I actually do. Uh, because, and it's just, it feels like forever for me because it's every single week. But I'm so thankful that I get to be here today. I get to see your faces. This is good. And if this is your first time, uh, I've never seen you before. So, but it's, it's good to see all of us here today. And we're going to be talking about uh, overcoming temptations because in the world that we live in, it's filled with temptations. But God wants to shape our life for his glory. In fact, when God created us, he had a plan in mind. He wanted us to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. 
That's why when Jesus died for us and rose from the grave, life doesn't stop with Christ. He's still building us up to become more like him. He gave us a life to model after. He lived on this earth for 30 years and then started his public ministry and then died at the age of 33, at a young age. But then he rose from the grave for all of eternity. So he's given us the word to follow so that we can learn how to be shaped by God. And when it comes to temptations, if we hear in our minds that we cannot overcome temptations or it's too strong for us or you cannot get out of this situation or it's too much for you, too big for you, that you cannot conquer these temptations, then really what we're doing is listening to the lies of the enemy because God says we can overcome and he's going to show us ways to do that. He's going to give us a way out. Now, we, base, we, we, we struggle with the basic temptations, you know, cookies, ice cream, donuts, you know, what shows to watch, what shows not to watch, you know, should I lie, should I not, you know, those are just basic temptations that happen every single day. But then you have the, the, the bigger temptations, you know, um, lust, your sexuality, uh, fornication or sex before marriage, uh, drugs, alcohol. Peanut butter cookies. You know, those are like the, the bigger ones. Those are the ones that really get to us. And once, those, once we fall prey to those temptations, it's hard to get out of. Because it's like a hook. It grabs at us and it grips us. And so what God wants to do is show us that it's, it's more than temptations that come our way that, that is trying to get at us. Therefore, he gives us more power than any temptation that will come our way, whatever that may be. And you might be in a, a situation where you're, you're in the middle of that temptation or you've passed the temptation. Now you're, you're involved in something that is not good for you. Whether it may be adultery, pornography, you know, uh, some type of addiction. And you're stuck in that and you're thinking, I'm past temptation. Now I'm, I'm stuck in this thing and I'm addicted. Where do I go from here? Well, God will always give us a way out. Second Timothy chapter 2 Verse 22 tells us to run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. So the Bible is telling us a way out. Sometimes it's actually physically getting out of the situation, running from anything that stimulates that lust inside of us. Like get away from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 tells us that the temptations in our life are no different from what others experience. In other words, we all go through the same temptations. Every single person will be tempted with the same things in our world. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, not if, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's the promise of God. There is always a way out. And usually the best way out is to eliminate as many tempting possibilities as possible. When I gave up smoking marijuana, I, I started in third grade because it was all around me. Now, I'm not, I'm not stereotyping where I grew up, but I did grow up in Waminalo. So it, where we grew up, it was just outside. It actually grew like weeds because it was just outside. And I didn't know really what it was. All my uncle guys were, you know, doing this thing. And, and so one day I opened my garage door and there were all these things hanging in my garage door. And I'm thinking, what is this? What is, what is about this thing that everybody's, you know, doing? 
doing this thing. So I tried and kept going until about the seventh grade because I saw what was happening to my uncles and relatives and friends. And they're like, hey, dude, what's up, man? I was like, I don't know if I want to be like that. I don't know if that's where I want to head, and I'm not sure. So I just thought, you know, i got to stay away from this stuff. And my friends were still doing this, even up until high school and beyond. So I had to, I had to think of ways to get out of the situation. And I had, to, I had to exclude myself and not be involved. I had to eliminate any possibility of being tempted. Same thing with drinking. When Heidi and I first got married, I was 19 and she was 20. And the, the day of our marriage, you know, we had champagne. So that's the last time I drank anything of alcohol on purpose that I, that I knew of. Because there was this one time we were at a hotel. And this is maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I ordered a, a pina colada, non-alcohol. I specifically said that. I took one sip. I'm like, this absolutely has alcohol. Heidi was like, let me try. I said, no, there is. She goes, let me see. Oh, there is. So... <laughs> It, it, that was, that's the last time. And so I had to think of how do I eliminate all the possibilities of me being tempted? So when we would go to parties, you know how people, hey, brother, have one beer. Like they would just give it to you. Sometimes they don't even ask. They just hand it to you. And if you put it on the side, they're like, bro, don't put the beer on the side. That's a waste. You see how they talk? That's how they talk. So <laughs> I had to think of how do, I, how do I not involve myself. So I would always carry water or a bottle of water when I would go to a party because I had to figure ways, figure out how not to stay involved in that situation, but at the same time be able to go to parties or family gatherings and things like that. But if I don't, if I don't, if I'm not able to do those things, then I'm going to struggle. And how often I've heard people saying, it's so hard because when I go to my friend's house, my uncle's house, down to the beach, wherever I go, people are just handing me things. I'm like, they're not forcing you to take it. Yeah, but I don't want to be disrespectful. Well, either you're going to figure a way out or you're going to continue to fall prey to the temptation that you yourself are trying to stay away from. So we actually have no excuses because no one can force us to do anything. Not even the devil himself. He can't force us to do anything. Have you ever heard some people say this? Or maybe you've even said it yourself because I've said this before. The devil made me do it. The devil can't make us do anything. He can only suggest. He can only kind of like uh, tempt us, whisper to us and say, hey, try this or do that, do that. That's all he can do. In the video with the, you know, when, with the temptation of the, the fruit, it comes from Adam and Eve when they were tempted from the devil. By the way, I think that fruit was on mango, not on apple. <laughs> you put an apple and a mango before me, the mango is stronger. So I think that was just whatever. So whatever, whatever that is that's going to tempt you, that's what the devil is going to use. But he can't force you to take it, nor can he force you to take a bite out of it. He cannot. We end up choosing that. And the more I say the devil made me do it, the more reasons I'll have to fall into temptation rather than taking responsibility and saying, wait a minute, God said that he will always provide a way out. You may always or sometimes feel that a temptation is too overpowering for you to bear. And, and if you've ever felt that, just know that that is probably Satan's greatest lie that you cannot overcome this temptation that only you struggle with this 
He's, he's, he's so deceptive. And we're not going to fall prey to that. God is going to show us a way out. And in order for us to know the way out, we have to cooperate with God and practice what the Bible says in order to overcome temptation. Here's the first way that God helps us. We need to redirect our thoughts. When we redirect our thoughts, it shifts the way we function as human beings because we have neurons in our mind and those neurons fire and pass information and it transmits information to the rest of our being. So if we are to redirect our thought versus trying to resist the temptation, just redirect our thought, it shuts down those neurons that are being tempted and it redirects our thought towards something else. And some people say, well, what if I just resist the temptation? Well, the Bible never tells us to resist temptation. Resisting thinking about something causes us to continuously think about what we're resisting. And if we're thinking about, okay, I got to resist that. I got to resist that. I got to resist that. If we keep thinking about it, it's like, you know, like an emboss, when you emboss something, like a, like a stamp on something, on, on some type of uh, cardboard or leather or some type of cardstock, and you emboss it like notoriety, you just emboss it. That's what happens if we constantly think about resisting the temptation. We keep thinking about what to resist. It embosses in our mind and it, it, it now strengthens the thought and it embeds it into our mind. So now we struggle with it even more because we're, tr- we're constantly thinking about what to resist rather than just simply redirecting our attention. It's changing our focus, redirecting our thoughts. It's like changing the channel. It's no longer on this channel. Now you switch to another channel. Have you ever had someone late at night, they're not watching TV, they're sleeping, and then you change the channel, they're like, hey, I was watching that. (laughs) Yeah. They weren't watching it. What was happening? Their mind was stuck on that. They could hear it even in their sleep. But once you redirect that thought, it just switched on them. So change the channel when it comes to that temptation. You, you redirect your thought. Change the app, as it were. Just go to a different app. Don't stay on that one. Just change it. Go to a different frequency. Otherwise, it gets embedded in your mind. And the longer you think about what you're resisting, the deeper it gets into your mind. It drives into your mind. Job 31, verse 1. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. You know what Job is saying? He's saying, I don't look with my eyes, we see with our brain. Our eyes are the lens in which things come through. And so he's saying, I've made a covenant. I, I, with my thought process, I made a covenant. I made an agreement that I'm not going to stay on that channel. I'm not going to think in that kind of way. I'm going to change the channel. I'm going to think differently. Heidi and I were watching a, a TV show and a commercial came on. Burger King. Junior Whoppers. Guess what we did? Turned the TV off. Guess where we went? Burger King. Guess what we bought? Junior Whoppers. Like it works. It's the power of suggestion. That's why during the Super Bowl, they pay millions of dollars for a 30-second ad. Because all of us are going to watch the commercial and say, I'm going to go buy that. And millions of people go buy whatever they're advertising. And within minutes, they pay for their commercial. And we think that that's what's going to happen in the commercial. They open up beer. There you are on the beach. What? I was just in my office. Yeah, but if you buy this beer, look at that coconut tree pop up. 
You get all kinds of bikini girls and all these guys with, you know, all muscle bodies. Go down four miles. They don't look like that. <laughs> it's so different. It's like, Psh. oh, close this beer. Put this away. Who's that? In our mind, we think that's going to happen. So what they do is, with advertising, sorry. Uh, hey, get some brothers that look like that. So they'll come up to me afterwards and say, bro, I look like that. So it's okay. It's just an illustration. But that's what they do. And in our minds, we think that that's going to happen. And so the, the, the thought process is, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to now follow these things. And the Lord says, no, no, that's what temptation does. It lures you into thinking that this is going to be the outcome. But what the enemy wants us to believe is that if you just stick with me, then you're going to be fulfilled in falling prey to this temptation. And we live not with being satisfied. We live with regret. God says, redirect your thought because it's in the thought process that the power lies. Everything comes through our mind. Temptation starts with our thoughts. It starts in our mind. It's, it starts with grabbing our attention and our attention triggers an emotion. And then once we have that emotion, we follow what we feel. And once we follow what we feel, we fall prey to whatever was tempting us. But God, God gives us a, a power that comes from him to actually ignore temptations. It's, it, there's even the power of replacement. That Remember in Indiana Jones, if, uh, I think it was the first one. Now, if you haven't seen Raiders of the Lost, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's like a 40-year-old movie. So if you didn't see it, I'm not spoiling anything. You just never watch them. <laughs> so basically what he does is he has to grab this treasure, but if he takes that treasure, it's going to trigger some traps. So he has to replace it with something else. And then he takes the treasure. That's the law of replacement. To redirect your attention and your thoughts means I'm stuck on this temptation, but I'm going to trade it off with something else. I'm going to redirect my thought. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to redirect my thought to something else. And it's amazing how when you ignore something and you do that replacement, it changes everything. When my brother would tease me, he's six years older than me, he would tease me by just simply staring at me. He would just stare at me right next to me. And I would get upset. I'm, stop staring at me. And we would fight because he's staring at me. Until one day I thought, you know what? I'm just going to ignore him. I'll ignore him. He's teasing me. He's teasing me. I'll just ignore him. Just watch TV. Ignore him. Get up. Get me a drink of water. Come back down. Just ignore him. After a while, he got so mad that he started arguing with himself. <laughs> got up, left the room, mad at himself. That's the power of ignoring that's what we do to the enemy we just ignore him like don't even give him the time of day don't even let him into your thought process just ignore him you don't have to fight with him he's already a defeated foe jesus conquered the enemy he already defeated the enemy satan actually has no power over us absolutely zero he thrives on our fears and it can only suggest to us. See, when we ignore the temptation, it's far more effective than fighting with it. Fighting with the devil doesn't work. 
Have you ever tried arguing with the enemy? Some people even say, oh, I'm going to do battle with the enemy. I'm like, you're fighting an enemy that's already defeated. Who's the unwise one? The devil don't care if you argue with him. By the way, he's, he's, he's better at arguing than we are. He studied our life. He's been doing this since day one, so no sense argue with him. Have you ever argued with someone who you can never get your point across? It continues day after day, same thing. I remember growing up. Now, my mother and I, we are really good. We're on good terms today. This is when I was like a teenager. And when we would argue, like it was just never ending. And it was small things, just small things, but just never ending. It just continued on day after day. And simple things. She would say, Sheldon, did you move my sugar? I'm like, what do you mean your sugar? No, I didn't touch your sugar. I don't, I didn't even, why would I touch your sugar? Well, it was on the top shelf. Now it's on the bottom shelf. I said, then grab it from the bottom shelf. She goes, yeah, but usually it's on the top. And when it's on the top, I know exactly where it is. But when you move it, now I, I can't find it. I'm like, but you found it. Yeah, but it took me long. So don't move my sugar. I said, mom, I didn't move your sugar. Then who moved my sugar? I said, I don't know, maybe you moved it by a mistake, which was my mistake. So you're saying I moved my sugar? No, I'm just saying maybe you did, and I don't know. And we would grumble, like, from that to how I clip hair, how I fold paper, don't lick the envelope. Like, from this sugar to now my shirt is crooked. Like, it just continued one after another. It's like, like sports, like first quarter, argument. Second quarter, different argument. Half time, we take a break, and then she continues after that, and then third quarter, fourth quarter, then get timeouts, then get two-minute warning, and then it takes forever, get commercials. I'm like, Mom, and then we go to sleep. Next morning, you figure everything's good. No, first thing in the morning, move my sugar. I'm like, what? My sugar. I said, Mom, what are you talking about? The sugar. You move the sugar. I'm like, Mom, that was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was yesterday. But today it's still there. Like we would continue day after day. And I'm thinking, am I the one that's going crazy? What, what is happening? Now, when it comes to the enemy, it's a never-ending battle of arguments. You know what Jesus did very well? When the devil came at Jesus and tempted him in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted, he didn't argue with the enemy. You know what Jesus did? He gave him the word. He said, it is written. He didn't say when the devil said, hey, turn these stones to bread so that you can feed yourself because Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm, I'm, but I'm not hungry. Jesus didn't say, oh, but you know, I, I can eat later. Jesus simply said, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone. You know how powerful the word of God is? This is why doing devotions is so incredibly important. It's allowing us to get the word of God in because that's how we fight our battles. It's with the word of God. He already did the battle. He gives us the power. That's why this is called the sword of the spirit. You don't overcome evil. In fact, Romans 12, 21 tells us, you don't, don't be over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's that law of replacement. You don't have to focus so much on so much evil is happening to me, so how do I get out of this? He's saying, no, no, no. You overcome evil with good. You replace it. I remember some friends telling me that they went, they went to a movie, and it was a PG-13 movie, but it was so bad that they said they had to walk out of the movie because it was just getting to their mind. They said, we, we can't be in here. That's what it means 
to remove yourself. Replace it with something else. It's an action that we're going to do. And whenever we do that action that is good, it's replacing whatever was bad. And once we replace it, it's like our mind. Our mind is like a vault. When it's locked down and secure, nothing can get in. But if it's left wide open for all to see, now we're vulnerable for anything. So we lock it down like a vault. That's where we're effective. We're effective when our brain, our mind, is now fixed, not on the temptation, but on something greater. In fact, the Bible says where we should fix our thoughts on. Hebrews 3, verse 1. It says, fix your thought on Jesus. That's where we fix our thoughts. Like, we've got to reprogram the way we think. And when we are able to fix our eyes on Jesus, nothing can get our attention. Nothing can distract us. Not even the devil himself. It's, it's just the way God wired us. Have you ever tried getting, atten- getting, getting someone's attention that is glued to the TV or their iPad or their phone? Like, their eyes are glued to it. Just think of our children, And that's how I was. My mom would say, Sheldon, 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 Sheldon. Call my name so many times. And no matter how many times you may call the child, they're like this. They're stuck, glued to whatever it is. And you can even yell their name, Sheldon. You can even go in front of them and you're like, hello. And they're they're not even distracted. Why? Because their thoughts are so fixed on something. That's what it means to fix your eyes on Christ. What the Bible is saying is you're so focused on him that nothing can distract you. No temptation can come your way that it's too much for you to bear. Why? Because you're fixing your eyes on that which is good. Philippians 4, 8 tells us, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It's our mind. That's what the devil wants. This is his, this is his playground, his, 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 his shop that he sets us up. And he works in there. But we don't dwell on those things. We fix our eyes and our thoughts on Jesus. We dwell on the good things. And then we also, in in Proverbs 4.23, it says, to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Imagine that. We we now have our our minds focused on Jesus. It's, It's on him. Our hearts are now guarded. What temptation can come our way? We're heavily guarded. God shows us a way to do that. He says, no, just keep redirecting your thoughts. Don't stick to that temptation. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts are going to take you captive and it's going to lead you wherever it wants That's why we have to carefully think through what kind of media moves into our mind, what we allow into our minds and in our hearts. Just redirect our thoughts. Second thing is to reflect on your weaknesses. Now, we all have weaknesses. We don't reflect on our weaknesses so that we we put ourselves down or so that we start thinking of how bad we are or, or let our past get the best of us. No, we reflect so that we can learn about our weaknesses so that we can do something about it, not use it against us. We reinforce our weaknesses so that we can reinforce our strengths. 
You know, when there's a, whenever there's a walled city or a walled castle, what the enemy would do is they would take battering rams and they would go around the entire city or the castle and they would just keep battering the wall, just keep beating the walls until they find a place that is weak, maybe a loose rock or something. Once they find that area, they blow the trumpet and everyone comes to that area. And that's exactly what the enemy does for us, does to us. Satan comes around our life. That's why you'll notice from time to time there are certain things that will hit our life. Some are really bad. Some are not that bad. It can be bad, but we're strong in that area. So it'll hit us, and then when there's a weak area, you'll notice when there's a weak area, the devil will flood that one area. That's why we say when it rains, it pours. Yeah, because one thing happens, and if that's a weakness in us, he keeps coming at that one area. If your weakness is relationships, that's where he's going to hound you. If your weakness is pornography, that's where he's going to hound you. If your weakness is, is in finances, that's where he's going to get at you. Whatever our weakness is, he's going to bring everything there. But the good news is, once we know our weakness, the Bible tells us, where I am weak, there he is strong. You see how God does that? It's not us who has the strength. It's he who has the strength. And he reinforces it and strengthens us in that area. Whenever we reflect on our weaknesses, it's helpful when we grab a couple people, some brothers or sisters in Christ, and say, hey, can can you pray with me? Can you encourage me? Let's encourage one another whether it's doing a Bible study group together, rooted and growing, or, or just having a couple of friends that you can bounce things off of, not gossip, but bounce things off of and say, this is what I'm struggling with. You don't have to broadcast it to everyone. You're just telling a few people so that we can build each other up, encourage one another. That's why we gather together here on Sunday mornings. Sometimes we're sitting in the fellowship hall and we're talking story and we'll share some of our weaknesses. If someone shares with you their weakness, take it, ground it or give it back to God and never share it with anyone else because there's strength in that. And whenever we're able to reflect on our weakness and then, and then have others to surround us and help us, we become stronger. I have a few people that I, I bounce things off of. I, I go to people in my weaknesses and I'll say, pray with me. It's just, I know I need it. If we think we don't need it, that's our fall. The Bible even tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 9, that two people are better than one, better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. That's what we do. That's why we're called the body of Christ. We help one another. James 5, 16 tells us, therefore, confess your sins to who? Each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen very carefully. Some of us aren't healed, not because we prayed, we, we prayed to God and he didn't heal us. Many of us aren't healed, not just physical healing, spiritual, emotional, mental. The reason why we're not healed is because we've never confessed it to another believer. We confessed it to God, but the Bible tells us that when you confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, there's the healing Maybe that's where we're at in whatever era we may be struggling in. See, when you hide something, it just grows stronger. But when it's exposed to the light, it becomes weaker. Whatever group you have to be involved in, just find something. That's why I love our Tuesday night Celebrate Recovery. Because here we have a bunch of us who struggle with things that says, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to find a group of people that are going to help me stay accountable. 
And we're actually accountable more to ourselves than anyone else. So it starts with us. Satan's great lie is that you're the only one who has these sins and are tempted the way you are. And no one will understand you. They will judge you. So keep it a secret. And we think we're all alone. Did you know that normally the things that we cannot talk about has already controlled our life? But once we begin to confess it, we're now released from it. Resolutions, you know, uh, books, you know, reading books, willpower, those are great things, but those are never enough. We have to go to others. I can't tell you how proud I am of men and women who will either go to counseling or will talk a little bit and they'll say, here are some things I struggle with. Can you pray for me? And we'll pray together 100% of the time. Whoever confesses those things 100% of the time leaves that meeting or that talk time differently with a huge weight lifted off of them. Why? Because they were able to confess it. Now the healing can take place. And that's what God does for us. He lets us, he lets us bring it out into the light so that he can help us with it. Whether it's problems with our finances, our marriage, our children, it could be the thoughts that we have, our sexuality, secret habits, anything that is hindering us from becoming more of the person that God is trying to shape us to become. And he, he allows us to confess our sins to one another. And when we do, we just get better and better and better. That's how God designed us to be. That's part of God's plan for us is to connect with each other. You know, for the Christian, pride destroys, but humility strengthens. Pride will always bring destruction. Humility strengthens. It empowers us. That's why James 4 tells us, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we don't try to resist temptation. We resist the devil. We redirect our thoughts when it comes to temptations, but we resist the devil. And when we do, after we've humbled ourselves before God, after we've resisted the devil, he flees from us. He doesn't have power anymore. So he has to flee. Why? Because we've humbled ourselves before God and we resisted him. But you can write that in your third point. Resist the devil. You want to overcome temptations? Guess where it comes from? That's going to come from the devil. You resist him. So we don't, we don't like slack in humility and just lay back and say, no, I'm a humble person, so I'm just going to let God do everything. No, no, no. Humility is controlled strength. There's a strength about believers that the devil does not like, and that's Christ in us. That's the strength that we have. And whenever we're able to resist the temptation, humble ourselves before God, he does the battle for us. The fight is against the enemy, not the temptation. And the enemy must flee. As Christians, we are in a spiritual battle. That's why in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, God gives us the full armor of God. And in verse 17, it says to put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Yeah, we need salvation. We cannot resist the devil if we have not received salvation. It'll be impossible for us to resist the devil unless we have received Christ because Satan can only suggest. That's why doing devotions is so important. The word of God is your weapon. This is our weapon. And Jesus modeled it well. The weapon is his word. 
That's why whenever we go into battle, if we don't have the word of God, we're done. We're finished. And if we can think, no, I can go into battle, I get them. No, you're dead. Why? Because the word of God, this is what is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, Billy Graham was very good at, at the boundaries that he had. Billy Graham was able to, he was able to resist the devil, but even before that, he was able to do preventive. So anytime before he would go into a hotel room, he would send in his associates to, to scan the area, to check the place, make sure there was no one in there, and then he would go in. And the reason for that is just in case there was someone there to hurt him or a woman in there trying to tempt him. Or with social media today, take a picture when he least expected it just because he was in there by himself and he didn't check the place. He did that to prevent anything from happening. He was just that cautious. In fact, if we don't learn and if we don't, if we don't grow in this area and resist the devil and humble ourselves before God, we actually begin deceiving ourselves. We're very good and very, very crafty at deceiving ourselves so that we believe even our own lies. And the reason why we're so good at it is because the Bible even tells us in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all else. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's how, that's how foolish we can be that our heart begins to deceive us. And we start falling into our own deceptions and then we reap the consequences. But if we're able to keep our guard up, as the Bible tells us in Proverbs 14, 16, that the wise are cautious and avoid danger, but fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. If we're able to keep our guards up, we don't go on with reckless confidence. Confidence is a good thing. And we always think, well, we have to have confidence. Confidence is good when our confidence is in the Lord, as Hebrews tells us, that our confidence is in the Lord. But if we have reckless confidence, oh boy, we end up doing things that we become fools in. But we're wise when we're cautious to avoid danger because we have to remember the best way to overcome a temptation is to not get in it because it is a lot easier to stay out of temptation than to get out of it once we've fallen into it. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it tells us, therefore, let him who thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. And if the Bible is telling us God gives us wisdom, listen to it. Listen to his wisdom. Redirect your attention whenever a temptation comes in. Redirect your focus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Reflect on our weaknesses so that he can be strong. Humble ourselves before God. Resist the enemy. He will flee. And watch the strength that God gives to each and every one of us. Temptations will come. They will always be around us. But let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. I think this morning we can take heed. We're going to pray. You can close your Bibles and put away your notes. And we're going to let the Lord do a mighty thing in us. Because we all battle with temptations in whatever way that is for you. You know what it is and God knows what it is. There's no shame, no guilt, no judgment. We stand level at the foot of the cross. 
but we're going to lift this up to the Lord this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have given us a way out. You will always give us a way out. And this morning as we pray to you, we know that you are well aware of the temptations that come our way. And at the same time, whenever a temptation comes our way, help us to redirect our thoughts. That you wired us up in such a way that when our thoughts are fixed on something, it, it becomes stronger. So we want to redirect our thoughts from temptations to you so that our thoughts about you become stronger and you're going to strengthen us as we reflect on our weaknesses, as we reflect on the things that take us down. Can you help us in those areas? Strengthen us because you're going to do the battles for us. It is not by might nor by power. It is by your spirit and you've declared that to us. We also pray that as we, as your people, humble ourselves before you, it's more than just confessing and, and asking for forgiveness. It's also confessing it with a brother or sister in Christ so that we can be healed, so that as we humble ourselves before you, we are able to resist the devil. And when we do, he must flee. So right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we humble ourselves before you, God, we command the devil to flee. We resist you, enemy. In the name of Jesus, you have no more power over us. We have overcome the temptations that you have brought our way. You are a defeated foe, and you have no power over us, over our children, over our family members, over this community, and wherever we may go. You have given us the authority, Lord, to overcome because that's what you did on the cross and the grave. It is only by your power that we pray these things. And we all said together, Amen.